0: In uh, 2014, there was a Sports Illustrated cover that proclaimed that in three years' time, the lowly Houston Astros would be World Series champions. This cover is now famously prophetic, and uh, it was funny because at the time, the player on the cover was George Springer, a player who was a rookie, who was striking out almost at a league record pace, and he was the young star of this team that was a perennial bottom-dweller. There uh, was the title that declared your 2017 World Series chance. And while this called for praise of the Astros, there wasn't much cause for praise. But I'll say one of the best celebrations that I've seen this year was this past month when the Astros celebrated their win. They were World Series champions for the first time in their 55-year history, and none other than George Springer was the MVP. He hit four home runs in back-to-back-to-back-to-back games, never before done, five total home runs, 29 total bases, destroyed some of the previous records of baseball. In this case, there wasn't just a call for praise as they announced him as MVP. There was much cause for praise. Now, I know that I'm a baseball nerd, but uh, similarly, this format of there being a call for praise, and us as humans wanting a cause for praise, is actually the format that we see throughout the Psalms, and it's one that we find in our Psalm tonight, Psalm 100. We see a call for praise in the first verse, echoed by a cause for praise, again we see a call for praise in the third verse, and a cause for praise again in the fourth verse. It's these types of calls for praise that have been used throughout the church's history as Christians gather for worship. It's actually likely that this psalm was used at the Temple in Jerusalem, and it's a part of the Anglican liturgy. It's called the, the cupolate Deo, Latin for the first phrase in Latin, which means be joyful to God. It's actually a great celebratory tone to start. and It's a good hint that if something has been important uh, to the church for hundreds of years, then it also has... Value to us. So as we look together tonight, look down at Psalm 100. Your leaflet, you'll see that it's composed as a poem. Each poem has three lines. Now preachers often get uh, a bad rap or, or are given a hard time because they have a fondness for three-point sermons. As if you if you have four points, you're trying too hard, or that's more than a congregation can bear. And if you have two, well, you're just a slacker. Well, our passage gives us three points. In each of four verses. Don't worry, I don't have 12 points. But if you follow along, there will be four simple points, one for each verse. I think that we see a call for praise, a cause for praise, a choice to praise, and finally a chorus of praise. Look at verse 1 with me, and you'll see that each of these verses has a three-fold uh, invitation. In the first verse, we see it call us to be joyful, serve, and come before His presence. I love how this starts. Oh, be joyful. It should have an exclamation point, and some translations do. I'm I'm slowly learning Greek, and I realize that the exclamation point isn't something that translates perfectly. But I've heard that this verse has been translated in some editions as, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And some people have told me, maybe after realizing how I sing when I'm standing next to them, that that's for those of us who uh, should not be up front singing, and all we can do is just, well, at least if you're going to make a noise, be joyful. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's actually, it's closer to the metaphor of the sports analogy that I shared with you. It's the acclamation of shouts and praise and celebration that we hear on the sporting side. I have a friend, Griffin, and uh, we worked together uh, in youth ministry for a number of years, and we would go to a lot of students' games. And Griffin knew nothing about sports. Not just any sports. He would sometimes even cheer, Go sports! where he would cheer for a team to put the ball in the gold net basket that didn't fit the sport. What Griffin lacked in understanding, he made up in enthusiasm, and I think sometimes that's a good reminder for us, that we aren't always understanding of the ways that God is working, but we're called to enthusiastically give thanks. Secondly, we see that we're to serve the Lord. I think it's interesting that Worship, uh, when you come to church, it's often called a worship service. And I think that that's because the best service that we can actually offer to God is our worship. Romans 12, 1 goes so far as to say that we should offer our very lives, that it's our spiritual act of worship. And that we should do this with gladness. And that may even mean singing songs when your noise is is joyful, but not beautiful, like mine. I think there's actually something about singing, that when you sing words, it can actually change your heart and change your attitude. I, I know that because uh, I like to listen to Casey and the Sunshine Band at times. <laughs> uh, lastly, it says, come before his presence with a song. You'll see in each of these stanzas, there's actually a growing intimacy from line one to line two to line three. Be joyful is this broad acclamation or invitation, and then we're gonna serve the Lord, and finally to come before Him. It's it's growing in its nearness. Pope Francis says that God offers a tenderness which never disappoints, but is always capable of restoring joy. And that's an important promise when we bring our hearts before God's presence, because sometimes we don't feel like giving thanks. I'm well aware that Scripture tells us to be joyful always, but sometimes we just don't feel Right? Even though our world and all its technology has multiplied the pleasures that are at our, our fingertips, it hasn't multiplied our joy. It doesn't change our hearts in the way that being called to worship has the potential. If you think about it, uh, I, I've heard this said, I think it's true. Prayer doesn't necessarily change God, but it does change us. I think the same could be said about worship, about thanksgiving. Even about sin, It actually has the power to change us. The writer of Lamentations, uh, he puts it, it's a little more than don't worry to be happy, but he puts it this way. He says, I've forgotten what happiness is, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The this that he's talking about is the good news of God's presence with his people. And it's in that presence that we can have our hearts reoriented and that we can actually celebrate Thanksgiving. Now, my wife and I have a little bit of a debate. Mimi, uh, when she pronounces Thanksgiving, puts the emphasis on thanks, so Thanksgiving. And myself, being from New England, or as we would say there, New England, puts the emphasis on the second syllable, Thanksgiving. I actually prefer the way that Mimi says it, because I think it puts the emphasis on giving, on the thanks first. Because if we aren't thankful first, then how can we expect to give away that joy? But if we do cultivate that joy in our lives, we're then able to pass that on to others. There's plenty of studies that show that if you give away your money, you'll actually be more joyful. That as you uh, focus on others, you'll actually think less of yourself, but somehow be more joyful. When life and joy are given away, they increase. But when they're is they shrink. I think, I think we find that to be true. Now, in the same way that giving praise and thanks can reorient our hearts can also renew our minds, the second verse of, of Romans chapter 12 says that we can have our minds renewed. And so while verse 1 of this psalm aims at our hearts, verse 2 aims at our heads. And it gives us a cause for praise. Similarly, it gives us three ways that our thinking It says, know that the Lord is God, know that he made us, and know that we are his. Again, an increasing nearness. First, God tells us who he is, and that we can know him by name. Second, he tells us who we are, and whose we are. In other words, it says, he has made us, we didn't make ourselves. One translation actually puts it that way. It says, not we ourselves. I think it's significant to reflect that we didn't make ourselves, because sometimes we just think, in order to be more joyful, I'll just kind of buck up and kind of face the day. I've, I've had a cold this weekend, Paul's cough drops been my constant companion, and they have a little tagline on them that says, a pep talk in every drop. The one I put in my mouth right before I got up here says, conquer today, don't try harder, do harder, push on, you can do it. <laughs> when I have a cold I wish I could just feel myself in that cold The problem is I didn't make myself And I don't have that power Thanks Pauls for nothing <laughs> I do appreciate the citrus flavor okay. The reality is God made us And he didn't just make us Like as in the beginning As in Adam and Eve He made us as a people together And he uses us in order to remind each other of what's true. And lastly, we see in, in the third uh, line, he tells us our relationship to him, that we're his, that we're the sheep of his pasture. You might remember the setting of Psalm 23, where David uh, declares that the Lord is my shepherd. He was writing from a desert, a dry place, devoid of water. In that Psalm, he actually says that God would provide grass, water, green pastures, that God will be the source of joy even in a drive And sometimes we just need to be reminded of what's true in order to be thankful and give praise. And perhaps you could write your own version of, of this verse. I'm, uh, I'm not big on Pinterest, but I do like a good craft project. So maybe for you, that means you could make a table runner this week or, or place mats and put out some markers or, or crayons for kids. And actually record on there... Things that are a cause for giving thanks. Things that you're thankful for. And then maybe you have some moment where you can recite and recount those together. I think it actually has the power to renew our minds when we recall and tell each other what is true about what God's doing in our lives. Reminds us of what's true. Romans 12, 2 goes on to say that when our mind is renewed by God, then we'll actually be able to understand what God's will is. Is good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so as we turn to the third verse, it deals with just that, our will. Because in the third verse, we see that we actually have a choice to praise. Something we can do or not do. Look we'll at the threefold uh, invitation in verse 3 Enter, go in, give thanks. Now, he said he takes a choice. It took a choice for you to be here at church. Some of you took an extra choice to be at church twice today. Um, the reality is these things are choices, and they're ways that God wants to actually change our hearts so that we are thankful, so that when we draw near to him, we have a thankful heart. Now, in the time that the Psalms were written, there, of course, was not uh, a church. There certainly wasn't a church with awkward entrance and exits, uh, but there was a tabernacle. And I was an architecture major and I can tell you that even reading the confusing chapters in the Old Testament about how the tabernacle was built, I still don't quite get it. But I can tell you this, there were gates, and you first entered in through the gates, and then you were in the courts. You were in an outer courtyard, and when you entered in from the outer courtyard into the inner courtyard, and the very inner courtyard, that was called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest but for Christians, the belief is that Jesus is our High Priest, and because of Him, we can not only enter into His church, we not only walk through the doors, we can actually then go into the place of worship, and we can give thanks. We can participate in the life of God's people, because the gates, the doors of a church, that's just the entry point, and entering in these progressive actions of nearness bring us closer to God. Now, I admit uh, that I'm a Celtics fan, and this last week, the Celtics were playing the champion of Golden State Warriors. The Celtics have on their team a 21-year-old Jalen Brown, uh, who was barely more than a rookie, and he received news before the game this week, just hours before, that his best friend Trevin had passed away. He went to his coach, he said... He didn't think he could play, and he wasn't planning on playing. He wasn't going to go to the arena. He got a call from his best friend's mother just hours after she lost her son, and she reminded him of the love for basketball that Jalen and Trevin shared. And she reminded him of what he knew was true: was that was the to play the game. And he went out there, and he actually took action. What impacted his heart, what he thought about, in his head about his friend, what he knew what his friend wanted him to do, he went out and played and dedicated the game to his friend's memory. Now, this uh, lowly 21 year old uh, really showed up, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, and they beat the Warriors, and he was really the star of the game. He said afterwards that he felt like he was just going through the motions. Sometimes going through the motions is all that we can do on the path ahead of us, on the path where gratitude is somewhere in the distance and all we experience is hurt. Now, I'm not sure exactly what's going on uh, with Jalen, but I can tell you last night he played the Hawks in Atlanta, and he grew up in Atlanta with his best friend Trevor. He scored a career high 27 points and was again the star of the team. Now, I know that Jalen probably didn't want to show up. To enter in and go into the court. And last of all, he said they didn't have the energy to actually play in the game. But he did each of those things. He entered, he went to the court, and he participated in the game and he was invited to play. I can tell you that the, the cheers for him from Celtics fans were overwhelming. It was, it was uh, a chorus expressing joy. At uh, this incredible moment in sports, uh, Mimi can tell you that uh, there's no way to better get me to cry than uh, compelling sports. And for Christians, our, our heartwarming, mind renewing impulse should be all that much greater when we consider what God's done for us. And that the chorus of praise isn't just the chant of the TD Garden in Boston cheering for a selfish player, but it's the chorus of praise that we see in verse 4. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, His faithfulness endures for ages. This is the cause for praise that helps us answer this question, why should we praise? And this chorus is actually a refrain that we see throughout the Psalms, using these very words. It's really a chorus for Christians to sing. If you think about the Christians that you know, I bet you would say that some Christians live their lives, and it seems like they're living their lives in length, as opposed to living their lives in light of Easter. We all know those Christians. Maybe we're sometimes not. The reality is, Christians are sometimes like people, but they're also Easter people. And they're Christmas people, and they're Thanksgiving people. People who thank God not just for the for all people. Verse 1 and 4 of this, uh, of this psalm tell us that this is for all the earth and for every generation. There's an old hymn that is uh, based off of Psalm 100 whose title is, All People That on Earth Can Dwell. I love it. It basically says if you live on earth, this applies to you. And you can rejoice and you can give thanks. Because these things are true about God, they're true about you, He's God. He made us. He loves us. He cares for us. He's merciful. He's good. His faithfulness endures from age to age. And that is a great reason for us to celebrate and to give thanks. Thanks be to God. Thanks be 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 to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks. Thanks be to God.